Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. Really excited today. We have with us Katrine Clay, who is an award-winning TV documentary director and producer and an author. And she has a fantastic new book out, The Good Germans Resisting the Nazis. And today we're going to talk with her all about... um, So this book has a great scope. It starts in 1933 and goes all the way through World War II. But we're going to concentrate on before the war today, aren't we, Katrine? I think it's a good idea because it's it's such a huge subject. Absolutely. And I don't want to like skim through the whole lot when we could really get into some of the the pre-war stuff, which is really interesting. So I guess, first of all, what you've done, it's such a great tool. You've taken six key people in your book, ranging from a social democrat, a Prussian aristocrat to a young schoolboy and followed them, haven't you? Can you tell us briefly about a few of them and why you chose them? Yeah, well, look, uh, what I thought was um, six main stories mostly because I wanted a personal approach to history. You know, I didn't want the big history. I wanted the small personal history. Um, And so I thought, well, I better get men and women, uh, rich and poor, uh, young and old, you know, which is quite Mm. difficult in six, but I did manage it. And for example, the last one you talked about, he's a schoolboy called Bernd Engelmann, uh, and he's 12 when this story starts. And, uh, you know, he's just part of a, his parents are part of a, a, a totally unknown resistance lot. Yeah. There, honestly, there were hundreds and thousands of them who we've never heard of. And they're just an ordinary family. They're not, politi- not political or anything like that, but they just can't bear what's happening, you see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did, let's start with how your characters then experience the Nazi seizure of power, especially that moment on the 30th of January, 1933. Okay. Well, this schoolboy, for a start, um, you know, what happens is he comes home from school and he's already noticed at school that certain teachers are already, already before January 33, being kind of pushed aside by the Nazis, you know. Um, but anyway, he comes home and there is this uh, wireless uh, announcement and his father is sitting there with his head in his hand saying, Christ, they will ruin everything because there is this strident voice, um, you know, on, on the radio and it's saying, Sikhal, Sikhal, we will do this and we will do that, you know. Uh, and the fact is, if you really work it out, two thirds of Germans ever, never voted for the Nazis. Mm. And from that moment on, they had to live with it. And it started immediately. And by immediately, I mean the terror regime, you know. 
So you arrest people if they're, if they're opposing you. You send them to concentration camps. You um, shoot them whilst they're trying to escape, as they put it. You know, all that sort of stuff starts immediately. And what the Engelman family decide to do is keep their heads down and then join up with the local baker on the corner. Uh, they live in Düsseldorf, in a suburb of Düsseldorf. And they, there's a local baker, Herr and Frau Ney, and uh, they run this bakery looking very nice, welcoming everyone and so on. And they have this little group going straight away, along with a teacher, Fräulein Bons, a pastor, and also a member of the SS called Herr Fisch. And Herr Fisch is a, a very upper class sort of tailor, makes all these SS uniforms and things. And uh, Bernd hates him. Uh, but it turns out that Herr Fisch is actually a Quaker. And what this lot are doing is they're getting uh, Jewish children, basically, but also, you know, children of opponents of the terror regime out. And Bant is the one who, uh, you know, does the messages with the bicycle and so on, uh, which is fascinating. It really is for such uh, someone of such youth as well to be participating in resistance. Well, it is. It is. And I'll just tell you one story because it gives you an, an idea, basically, of how to do the personal story about the big event. One of the big, big events in uh, Nazi history, shall we say, is March 1936. And what Hitler did then was he decided to take a fantastic punt and occupy that bit of the Rhineland, which had been taken from them by the Versailles Treaty after the First World War. Mm-hmm. And years later, at the Nuremberg trials, it became absolutely clear that he had no idea he was going to manage it. It was a total punt. Uh, so you can do it like that, and you can talk about it as, as, as big history, or you can say, Bernd went to uh, the local baker for an ice cream that day, and a Tantane, as she was called, said to him, um, there's this man come in, he's called Herr Springli. I don't know who he is. And it turned out Herr Springli came from Switzerland and he was going to oversee. He's putting people by the Rhine everywhere, all along the Rhine, to see what was happening. And he, uh, they arranged for Bernd to go and early at six o'clock in the morning, he took his bike and he went to stand on the Orbe-Kessler bridge, not knowing what was going to happen. And sure enough, he could hear them marching in the distance and then over the bridge and, you know, and that was the first time that Hitler got away with, um, you know, not being stopped uh, by the French or by, by the British. But we see it from Bernd's point of view. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. No, I love it. I I love that sort of. This both Alina and I absolutely adore like doing oh, history God. more from um, the perspective of people than sort of overarching strategic events. It's definitely right up our street, isn't it, Alina? I completely agree. I'd rather look at what the people see and what the people witness and how they feel rather than looking at military. It's far yeah. more interesting. I tell you, the one I found very interesting. Well, I found them all interesting in different ways. But uh, Fritzi von der Schulenburg, as he was called, um, who was, it's my one Prussian, if you want to put it that way. He reacted, as if you asked me originally, Alex, how did they react? Well, he reacted with joy at the beginning. He thought, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, now I'm going to join the, I'm join the Nazi party. Because he thought, like, like some people did, they were going to bring 
uh, order to the absolute chaos of Weimar, uh, which had been, uh, you know, dogged by most terrible economic problems, uh, especially the Wall Street crash. So he joined the Nazi party. And so we follow him in the first year, beginning to realize what a terrible mistake he's made. Those people that um, immediately latched on like that, they called them March Violets, didn't they? That's right. And it was fascinating because at that point, you have to decide, he had to decide what to do. That was about a year in, no more. And what he decided to do, which masses of people did, who wanted to fight the regime, was to remain a Nazi, outwardly, uh, a beefsteak, as they like to call them, brown Nazi on the outside, pink, um, something quite different on the inside, and fight them from the inside. Because he knew right from the start, you would never be able to fight them um, from the outside. You had to be within the system. And that caused masses of problems for people after the war, because loads of people in England, let's say, uh, said, oh, he was a Nazi, you know. Uh, No, that was the only way they could think of fighting the regime, which was a terror regime, if you can imagine it, if you can imagine them coming here, as they might almost have done, uh, you know, Hitler wanted to invade for a brief moment uh, England. Uh, if you can imagine what happens, within six months, you've had it. Once power's in the wrong hands, you have had it. Uh, they send you to concentration camps, they shoot you on the spot, they remove any free press, any trade unions, any other, so, uh, any other political parties, everything gets removed. And, you, you know, or what can you do? And the only thing that some of them did, the, the, the sort of what you might call the, the ones with connections, is they came to England in their droves to ask, to beg uh, people in England, uh, to uh, the government basically, to step in and intervene and stop Hitler before it was too late, because they knew they couldn't do it on their own. But of course, you know, you know how that story ends, don't you? Only Churchill, I don't know whether you're connected to Churchill, but only Churchill actually really listened and said, yeah, we've got to do something, but he, you know, it didn't work. I've just started referring to his granddad now because every time he does something wrong or people perceive suddenly that he did something wrong, I get the abuse for it now on social media. So, Very good. No, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first few years of Nazi rule not as easy um, as things are constantly changing. For example, you have the Night of the Long Knives, the Nürburgring Laws, the Reichstag Fire, lots of things are happening. Yes. How do they manage those initial years? Uh, and you mean the people who have decided to resist, don't you? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, let's say the Reichstag's fire. Um, just as an example, I mean, obviously it was a setup. You know, it, it, it wasn't what it said it was. It was done by Goering and his, and his cronies and pretending it was done by communists. So the first thing is, you're probably not in a position to do anything because they rounded up 10,000 communists immediately and put them into concentration camps. And they rounded up Irma's father, who was the leader of the German communists, and into solitary confinement he went for 11 and a half years. And then they executed him. So, you know, the answer is that a load of people who wanted to do something couldn't uh, because they were locked up, basically. If they weren't locked up, they had to make this fantastic decision in those first few years what to do. Uh, And what the Nazis had done in those first few years, absolutely key, is they brought in a thing called Gleichschaltung. 
and Gleichschaltung is that you have to be politically aligned. Uh, if you were a teacher, if you were a lawyer, if you, you know, whatever you were, uh, you had to be seen to be politically aligned. And if you weren't, <clears throat> the first thing that happened is you lost your job. Now, you imagine yourself being a teacher and you've got four kids at home, masses of unemployment still. It's all very, very difficult. And you have to decide what to do. So you either keep your head down, which is quite difficult because you've got to do the Hitler salute and the Hitler new, oh God, all sorts of things, you know. But anyway, you've got to do it really well or you get caught out. Or you decide to move, uh, go to the country, keep your head down. Or, of course, you don't, uh, and, you get, uh, and you lose your job uh, v absolutely immediately. So, you know, you have, many, you have terrible decisions to make. Um, can, can you imagine it, really? No. It's, uh, do you know what? I've read, um, I don't know if you've read Philip Kerr's books, the Bernie Gunther story. I have. I think they great. are exceptional. I guess you could say his character is a good German, but he, I mean, he's not. He's not a saint. He's not perfect, but he constantly is is wrestling with this. These books jump all over the place, year wise to war, post pre war. I tell you why I think he's such a good character, because he's a complicated good German, mm. and I love that. I mean, you know, my Ernst Thälmann, the, the leader of the college, he's not not a complicated good German. He's just a, an unbelievably brave, courageous, whatever you think politically, you know, man. But Fritzi von der Schulenberg is a complicated one because he is a German as well. And he was deeply distressed and offended by the Versailles Treaty and everything that happened to Germany in those years after the First World War. So he's a patriotic German, but he's no, but you know, he's totally anti-Nazi. So he's like schizophrenic. And I follow that. Luckily, he left lots of writings and wonderful letters to his wife. And then there's private memoirs by his wife and his sister. So, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a, a personal insight into what was up on the outside, a typical Prussian aristocrat. And it's a completely different story inside, of course, you know. And incidentally, when he was sentenced to death in, uh, after the July plot, you know, the famous one in 44, mm -hmm. he left a wife and six children, six. Can you imagine? And this happened to, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. I'm just I'm trying to see beyond Tom Cruise here because it's just so well, that's tricky. offensive. <laughs> yeah. Um. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Okay, so 1935, the 19th of August, Hitler assumes complete power in Germany, one of the key moments in history. What happens to your characters and what do they think at this moment? Well, I I think that's a a absolutely key question you ask here because I don't know whether the right word is incremental, but what happened is that each of them, each time there was another shock, uh, because they were the types they were, and I just remind you, there were hundreds of thousands of them, and none of, we don't even know their names. Each time, they had to step up their resistance. They had to take more risks every single day because they knew now Hitler in supreme command, you know, uh, th- this was a complete nightmare. I mean, utter, complete. And brutality, if you, you, you see it in other dictatorships across the world, don't you? Brutality is an unbelievably powerful political tool and it scares people to death. So they had to overcome their fear, you know, uh, and that is just so, so difficult. So you watch them, you watch them taking it in. Uh, if they if they talk to each other, they had to do it in the usual thing, you know, right in the middle of a field somewhere or you know, where no one could hear them. Um, you know, it, it, everything became subterfuge, everything. And it is fascinating. And in fact, it becomes you know, later on, we're not going to go into that because it, it's later into the war and things, but it becomes like a thriller, you know, how they manage to keep going. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, just, it's just utterly shocking, really. So for me, one of the most important things in this time period is uh, Kristallnacht. So I wanted to talk a bit more about the treatment of Jews, um, especially when Kristallnacht happened on the 9th of November, 1938. Yeah. Um, how do your characters take this on board, what is happening around them? Well, I mean, uh, I suppose Bernd, the schoolboy, is again one of the best examples, only because there's a record of him getting on his bike, uh, you know, because uh, what happened is that they were in their a flat upstairs and there was this absolute noise downstairs and there was this Jewish family and the parents were out briefly and the girl was on her own crying and they'd been smashing up their flat Uh, and he heard that there was all the stuff going on in Dusseldorf in the center of town so he gets on his bike to go and it's his description of, of you know of glass broken glass everywhere and so on and when he's coming back on the way back on the corner of the street there's a whole load of people standing looking up and they're looking up at Dr. Levy's top window, um, he's a you know local doctor, and uh, and they're just throwing him out the window, and he lands splat uh, on uh, the pavement. Uh, you know, I, I mean, do you see what I mean? The physical shocks. All of them have stories uh, of Kristallnacht, and and uh, and you know, I mean, Fritzi von der Schulenburg is by then. Uh, completely uh, convinced he's he, he's got to carry on being a Nazi outwardly and do everything. In fact, lose his life, which he does, in the end, uh, if necessary. Um, you know, it just it just strengthens them um, in knowing that you know this this has got to be stopped. And then they sent more and more people to England, begging, begging. You know, because it was in the papers. You know, I mean, it wasn't as though we didn't know in England this Kristallnacht had happened. Uh, yeah, need- it reverted around the whole world, didn't it? Everywhere. You know, people like to say after the war, well, we kind of didn't know, you know. Uh, well, it's just not true. Uh, it just isn't. Um, and, of course, uh, lots and lots of Jews thereafter had did 
everything to get out, obviously, what they tried already earlier on, but it wasn't easy. And, uh, and they were applying for jobs in England for anything. It might be a lawyer saying, can I be your butler? Uh, you know, or a wonderful ballet dancer saying, can I be your kitchen maid? Anything. And the Times paper is just full, full, full of ads uh, of Jews, you know, desperately begging families in England to take them in. Because, you know, what do you do after Kristallnacht? I mean, you, you, know, you know entirely and clearly which way the wind is blowing. And as a matter of fact, if you bother to read Mein Kampf, which came out uh, in 1925, donkey's years earlier, you would know that this was always, it was always going to be like this. It was stated perfectly clearly. Uh, and also there was going to be war. That was also stated perfectly clearly. So it's not much good saying that you didn't know what was coming. The only thing I would say, in fairness to your average German, who was scared stiff and keeping their heads down, let's say, um, is that they were surrounded, uh, forgive the expression, but they were surrounded by fake news. It was totally impossible to know, other than if it happened in your local area like Kristallnacht, utterly impossible to know what was the truth because Goebbels had the most fantastic, you have to hand it to him, he had the most amazing uh, propaganda machine going. And he, he was, I agree, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, really, and if you were an ordinary, not particularly well-educated uh, German and you saw the newsreel, of those Nuremberg rallies say, or any of those torchlit present, you didn't say to yourself, look, actually there are no more people here than let's say in uh, Wembley Stadium, say, you know. Uh, uh, you, you didn't say that, you, you thought, Christ, look at these Nazis, look, isn't this unbelievable, you know, the power uh, of them, you know. So you, you didn't, it was pretty hard to, to see your way through fact, or fake news, very hard. I need to throw in there, Leni Riefenstahl really was talented. I, I really yeah. don't care what anyone wants to say. She was, I mean, uh, in one of my lessons yeah. for uh, um, Nazi Germany, yes. my lecture, my fabulous lecture, if he's yes. listening, yes. Um, you are amazing. Um, we actually sat, and I can't remember which one it was, we watched one of them, and he did something really spectacular. So he dimmed the lights, and we all sat in front of this huge screen and he basically asked us to clear our minds. And I did. And yeah. I sat and I watched this, this whole one, well, not the whole film, but yeah. predominantly about, about half of it. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, do you know what? If I was in that time period and I had suffered through the depression, yeah. no money, no job, trying to feed my family. Yeah. And I was watching this. Yeah. Hitler is amazing. Like, yeah. look at him. He looks like Caesar. He is powerful. And the yeah. music and every it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. How that, really? That's true. That is yeah. really true. And of course, as you as you so well know, because you had this excellent teacher. I mean, the techniques she used were advanced uh, even for now. I mean, the, using cameramen on roller skates and things. I mean, it's unbelievable what she achieved, you know. And I, I agree with you. She was a massive talent. It's just extremely unfortunate she allowed herself to be used by the Nazis. But she, you know, she's a filmmaker and she wanted to make make great films. And she did. God knows she I completely did. agree. I think um, Triumph of the Will, that's the one we watched. I knew it would come to me eventually. <laughs> that's a, it's, a, it's a stunning one, you know. There's no doubt about it.
especially for me i think the beginning because you've got planes coming in you know yeah. and it's this light-hearted music and you're like oh this is this yeah. is interesting I, um, <laughs> I never want to admit this because i am polish but just it is incredible it is absolutely incredible what she does and how she makes people feel yes, yes. and you know That's poland fun. just since you mentioned it uh, if i feel more s- sorry for one country in europe it's poland you've got soviet russia one side you've got the nazis the other uh, they're coming in to carve you up uh, you lose six million poles not just six million jews i mean it's yeah. horrific what happened to poland you know and this is all because I mean, you could say this, you know, it's all because of one man. I mean, if if Hitler hadn't managed to hold on that time in 1936, uh, you know, it was quite clear from uh, evidence in the Nuremberg trials that if he'd been stopped, that was March 1936, he would have lost so much face, you know, and there were still five million communists, you know, even in March uh, 1933, which was the last time they had any elections. Uh, You can't call them free elections (laughs) because there was an awful lot of intimidation. But even then, five million of them um, stood up and voted, you know, and that really, I mean, that alone took courage. Do you see what I mean? I I agree. My only point of reference for the next question is the sound of music, which is shocking. I'm a World War I historian and a rural historian, to be fair to me. I know, forgive (laughs) me. Austria is invaded in 1938. What yeah. is the response to that from the people that you chose to follow? Well, obviously, all the people I chose to follow were completely and utterly appalled, as they yeah. have been at every, every next step that was taking place. Uh, and, and, uh, and they already know this is just one more step and then just wait and see what happens next sort of thing, you know. And they say this to each other. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> in private in the middle of a field or to their private diaries i mean you can you can follow it up you know i use um particularly uh the diary of von hassel who was a very extremely uh well-known diplomat who joined you know the resistance the secret resistance around general beck and all that lot and he started keeping a diary private uh and he hid it in a tea caddy well, he wrapped it in oilcloth, then put it in a tea caddy, then put the tea caddy, buried it deep in his garden. I mean, that's how, that's how much. But he said, even at the outbreak of war, his entry says, no great jubilation in the streets. You see? So when you see great jubilation in the streets, in Austria or in Germany, once, you know, this is all happening, just bear in mind how many that is. You might be seeing on Goebbels Newsreel, you might be seeing, you know, 100,000 people or something. You're not seeing the two thirds of the population who are hiding in it behind their curtains and behind locked doors. Do you see? Mm. That's what I try. And, that really, really is what I try and convey um, in, in this book is to make people, I suppose what I'd love them to do at the end is to say, Christ, what about what would I have done? What would I have done? And the truth is that about 10% of the population anywhere would have been jubilant and thrilled, you know, and they've been going through a very rough time, it is true, in Weimar. Um, But, you know, the rest, uh, in varying degrees, are thinking, good God. And And now, after all this terror, we have to go to war as well. And they don't want it, you know. So, so you're always getting in the newsreels uh, and the unfree press, you're always getting that 10% uh, 
rather than, you know, I'll tell you, in 1928, before the Wall Street crash, the election of 1928, the Nazis got 2.7% of the vote. That's it. But then came the Wall Street crash and all the terrible economic turmoil and all the unemployment. And it was the perfect, perfect setup um, for Hitler. Then they didn't have a majority. They weren't able to get in, into Parliament, Reichstag, without the coalition with the other right-wing parties. And why did they do it? All those other right-wing parties, why did they do it? Because they didn't want the communists and the socialists who were going to win. They do anything rather than have the, the socialists in and the communists in. So, so there you go, before you know where you are, uh, January 1933, you're done for. <laughs> because after that, if you're an ordinary person in Germany, uh, everything else follows, do you see? 1939 is actually a really busy year. Um, I think we should break down our next question because there's quite a few elements that I've just thrown into one question. So okay. if we start with the invasion of uh, Czechoslovakia, in 1939. What is the reaction to that? Well, the reaction is, uh, there are two, aren't there? There's the one on the newsreels, which is that people are at what the Germans would call begeistert, absolutely, completely thrilled. And then there's all the other people, uh, you know, let's just call it the two thirds to make it simple, uh, who are completely and utterly appalled because they know very well by now, you know, by now, uh, they've seen what it really is, this Nazi terror regime. They know what it is. There is no family in the whole of the Reich who hasn't seen it amongst their friends or whatever, you know. Um, so, uh, and they know it's the next step to war. So, uh, you, but you only see, we, we, uh, the general public, uh, as was, and, you know, you only read or saw what, uh, what they wanted you to read and see. So you see people going berserk with joy, throwing flowers at the, you know, the panzers going in and, and all that stuff. I have to ask, um, obviously then Poland comes, and, and as you say, by this point, there's no no um, sort of veil over the eyes of the German public as to what is going no. on and what, no. is, what is happening. But what do no. they make of this dangerous pact with the Soviets? What's the general feeling in Germany when news oh. of that comes out? That is such a brilliant question, I tell you, because it, it, it was so clever of Hitler. You see, he was wily, wily, so-and-so, wasn't he? Because it, it, it sowed utter confusion, not least in the Communist Party. The, I, I ought to say the German Communist Party, to be fair, because it was very different from the Russian one. But, you know, they didn't know what to make of it, and they didn't know how to handle it. They just did not know. Uh, and they thought, Christ, what's going on? Uh, but luckily it didn't last very long. And I suspect what was really happening is that both sides, because there are a couple of foxes, aren't they, Starling? I, I, uh, someone said they were twins, really, um, virtually. Stalin and Hitler were each of them actually biding for time. And, of course, what Hitler was doing was saying, uh, as you know, from the, the letter he wrote, which I put in the book, uh, um, my dear friend sort of thing, uh, you don't be alarmed by uh, my troops amassing on your border because actually uh, I'm only, it's only a bluff uh, because I'm, I'm planning to invade uh, England, uh, Britain. Uh, uh, so, you, you know, don't, they'll all be gone. They'll all be gone very, very soon. 
And of course, um, before Stalin knew it, uh, there was the invasion. In they went. So, you know, it's, it, it, it was like, it's like watching sort of a magic show. You never, you never really knew what to believe until after the event, at which point it was as clear as crystal, you know. So I think we should end on obviously probably one of the most important points. Well, I'm going to say important because it's me. Um, Things that actually happened in 1939, and that is the 1st of September when Germany invades Poland. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening literally days before um, and all all sorts of things. It's, It's just a mess. Yep. What is their reaction to this? I mean, I'm assuming a broken reaction. Yes. I, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I've, I haven't mentioned all six of my characters, but the fact of the matter is every one of those six, typical of all the active resistors who knew what was going on very clearly by then, they all knew that this was just not true, what, what was being said, which is that, you know, the Poles were creating... Um, you know, mayhem on the border and therefore uh, much to our disgust and, you know, dismay, we are going to have to go in there and and put things in order, you know. And, and of course, it was was Nazi types uh, dressed up as Poles. (laughs) Now, my lot, or or, all the sort of informed resistors, knew exactly what that was. But your general public was, you know... Confused. What, 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 you know, there wasn't any television. There was the wireless, but that was, um, you know, censored completely. Uh, there was no free press. I mean, well, what are they meant to feel, you know? And they were trying, they were being drummed up for another war, uh, which, uh, you know, the general public, as von Hassel noted, had no appetite for. Whereas if you watch the newsreels, you think they couldn't wait to get into war, you know? So it's always the one third, two thirds, in my view, is 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 uh, is a good, is, you know, is a good way of kind of a, a general way of looking at it. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely. It's been just so interesting. And the thing about your book is it carries on, doesn't it? Because it doesn't just stop at the invasion of Poland. We go through the war, and then mm. we even touch on on post war. So can you just give us a, a little bit of a overview where we can get this book so people can read more about this? Oh yes, I'd love to. I mean, as I said at the beginning, it comes out on the third of September along with five hundred and ninety-nine other books. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I it's everybody's stuck a pin in the calendar for post COVID, haven't they? Or as post COVID as they can get. And uh yeah, it's a bit of a but I tell you, I, I tell you what will help my book very, very much. I will say this: Weidenfeld have, have produced a fabulous-looking book. It really, really looks good, and it's got a red spine, and it, it, well, it just is, and it's a most interesting cover. So, and I honestly do think if you're going into a bookshop or, or scrolling through Amazon or something other, uh, you know, uh, at least that will stop people, you know, on number three hundred and thirty-six of. <laughs> <laughs> They might just for a moment look and think, oh, that looks quite interesting. You know, what does it at any rate mean, the good Germans? Because, you know, my dad was the one who said there are no good Germans because he'd been in the war for five years Mm. and he reckoned there weren't any. Um, But, of course, that's what this book's about. Well, congratulations on it. Uh, We have loved getting to grips with it for this interview. We wish you all the best with it. And thanks very much for coming on to talk to us.
Well, thank you very much. Join us tomorrow when Leslie McAdam will be talking to us all about what it's like to be a prehistorian. She's going to talk through some of her amazing finds throughout her career and how you take just a sliver of information and use it to build a historical picture without any of the things that we're sport with researching modern history like documents. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.